When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Have you made the switch to NYX? Millions of women have made the switch to the revolutionary period underwear from NYX. That's K-N-I-X. Period panties from NYX are like no other, making them the number one leak-proof underwear brand in North America. They're comfy, stylish, and absorbent, perfect for period protection from your lightest to your heaviest days. They look, feel, and machine wash just like regular underwear, but feature incognito protection that has you covered. You can shop sizes from extra small to 4XL. Choose from all kinds of colors, prints, and different styles, from bikinis to boy shorts, thongs to high-rise. You've got to try NYX. See why millions are ditching disposable, wasteful period products and have switched to NYX. Go to knix.com and get 15% off with promo code TRY15. That's nix.com promo code TRY15 for 15% off life-changing period underwear. That's knix.com. Pluto. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for the Schmoda Rundown. Introducing first, Frankie. What's going on, everyone? This is the Schmodown Rundown. I am Frank Janish, and as you can probably tell right off the bat, we don't have Brad Gilmore this week. Uh, we hope to get him back next week. But until then, uh, I am going to be talking about the three matches that went down last week, three great matches uh, to interdict them, and, of course, uh, another semifinal from the Star Wars tournament, Laura Kelly and Ace, Ace Cabrera, Andres Cabrera. So we'll be talking about those three things. Uh, but also at the top here, I want to talk about a couple things uh, that are going on in the Schmodown community. And uh, getting just right into it, uh, it was announced, there was a handful of players announced for the singles tournament. And one of them, uh, I'm not going to go over all of them. We have, we have plenty of time to uh, talk about each faction's entries into into the tournament, as well as uh, I think this information will trickle out in the coming weeks uh, as we go through the Intergeekdom tournament, wrapping that up, and then and then jumping into the singles tournament. But one of the names that was dropped amongst many was uh, entry for the Den. Now, the Den elected to announce, or Christian elected to announce, that Rachel Silvestrini will be entering the singles tournament. Now, many have speculated that the top... Two, four, two, three, four players in that faction are, are Tom and Paul Preston. Um, and then you have Ben Goddard, who's having a stellar rookie year. But also, you know, Rachel Silvestrini playing with Ben on, on um, you know, as a teammate. Then you also traded for James White. You still have Alex Marzonia. You also signed Vanessa Fitzsimmons in the free agent frenzy period that we had. So they have um, a slew of names to to go through and make decisions, but Silvestrini was the first confirmed competitor from the Den that's going to be entering the singles tournament. 
So it kind of begs the question, who else will the den then enter? Uh, I've seen a, a lot of posts in the community talking about, well, if it's Silvestrini, then you, you obviously got to have Ben Goddard in there because he he's going for Rookie of the Year. And to me, that makes sense. Uh, ben Goddard has proven to be one of the better players in that faction for sure. I mean, he came on real strong in teams and singles play. Um, you know, we'll get into his match that he had with Robert Parkin to enter Geekdom. But in terms of who they have for singles players, you can't deny Ben Goddard has played great uh, in singles and or teams. Uh, same kind of skill set, right? So that transfers. And then you have Paul and Tom Preston. Now, we've seen him in one match. I don't know what their chemistry is like. But as individual players going into uh, this tournament, this upcoming tournament, uh, I'm curious what uh, the, the the kind of tenacity that they'll have for the Den and for playing in this tournament. I think Paul Preston, I would like to think he's a lock. I'm a little unsure about Tom, to tell you the truth. Um, I've heard some things in the past, as well as others, uh, through various streams and whatnot, that maybe Tom isn't quite as invested in it. Um, but I so I'm kind of wavering back and forth, but we've heard things that Tom definitely does want to play in singles and wants to take a shot at it. So if if we're going off of, okay, we got Rachel and then Tom, why wouldn't you see Paul Preston? I, I think Paul Preston should play in this tournament for the Den. Look what he did last tournament. I mean, you know, had an incredible um, match against Ben Bateman. And, you know, that match could have went either way. Obviously, the Kurosawa thing, you know, we can get onto all of that, but... Uh, I think it would be a mistake to not have Paul Preston and Tom from the den in the tournament. I, I think you you got to ha- I mean, also, it feels weird to have um, Ben Goddard sit it out, but I think he should play. I think he will play. You know, Kate has talked about he wants to see Ben Goddard. And they want to push him for Rookie of the Year. Um, playing in the singles tournament is a way to do that, uh, especially given that he's he's faltered in the Intergeekdom tournament now, so his run is done there. Um, if he wants to keep pace or outpace who I think is his next threat, which is the Barbarian, um, I think he's got to play in the singles tournament. And, you know, they do, I think the Pride himself and Silvestrini, they have a match coming up. So uh, I don't know how that's going to work in terms of uh, the team p- the team tournament that was also announced. That's all the bit of news, but we'll get into that later when, when the time comes. So Ben Goddard, Rachel Silvestrini, Tom, and Paul Preston seem like those are your top four or your four players that are entered the tournament. But then you did trade for James White. Uh, so you're wondering, well, if, if, if Kate traded for James White... Just going to leave him on the bench because it'd be odd if she waited to use him for the team tournament. So then he would be part of a new team that the Den would form. But you also have the Tom and Paul Preston team and then you have the Pride team. So, but but also not really sure what the Pride is going to do. Also, the team tournament is not might not be 16 teams, might not be 32. There might not be room for two teams per, per faction into the tournament. So what are you doing with James White? And then you picked up Vanessa Fitzsimmons. What are you going to make James White and Vanessa Fitzsimmons a team, potentially? But then there's also, remember, Alex Marzonia. He hasn't played yet. So Kate has a, has a lot of um, options uh, at her disposal. And if you go back and listen to what you said about Brandon Hanna and choosing Saul, is that she kind of wanted to spread it around for, for other players that have not played. 
it's an interesting philosophy to take. I and I understand wanting to get everyone a chance to play. But when there are points at stake and, and you're trying to be the top faction at the end of the day, when you go into tournaments, you got to put in your best players. Now, Alex Marzoni, I think he, he's played in an exhibition match. James White from the Fan Leagues. Vanessa Fitzsimmons obviously was part of that uh, pretty pretty iconic upset with late to the party over critically, critically acclaimed in the tournament of, uh, was it 2017, 2018? I forget. Um, but... So you have all these other players that haven't played, and you're going to throw them into singles, but it's it's an interesting route for for Kate to kind of navigate of who she's going to put in the singles tournament. Because if it's not Tom, Paul Preston, and Ben Goddard, then there's other players that, look, through no fault of their own, um, whether it's Alex Marzoni or Vanessa Fitzsimmons, I don't know that those two players are suited for singles runs. I think James White definitely is, given his history and track record in the fan leagues. Ben Goddard has proven, obviously. Paul Preston, what he did in the tournament last year. And Tom, he's been a force every time he's been in a match, and it's mostly been just been teams. So you kind of want to see him make that jump. Not to mention, you know, it's been noted that Tom has expressed actual interest in playing singles. So... Rachel Silvestrini, Tom, I would think Paul Preston, and I'm, I'm just finding a hard way, I'm just, like, how do you not have Tom, Paul Preston, and Ben Goddard, Rachel Silvestrini as your four? Because if I was Kate, first of all, I would do a much better Chicago accent. Second of all, it would be Tom, Paul, Ben Goddard, and I probably would put James White in there since I traded for the guy. And I think that gives them a real good shot. It's a real solid four. The, the, the question is now, of the three slots remaining, Tom, Paul Preston, Ben Gutter, I think everyone would agree that those are their next three best players. But if one of them does not enter, given the fact that Kate wants to spread the love around, who do you take out and then theoretically put in James White? Who I think could who I think it could do well. And I think Kate thinks that as well. Probably, maybe, I don't know. Uh, she traded for him, so she must think, like, he's worth something uh, to take a, to make a trade with, um, even though that whole Brandon Hanna fiasco was kind of just, uh, it, it's a weird situation in terms of you had to move a player to get the best deal for for that, and she got James White, a good player. Um, and you didn't get any points off of putting Saul in a tournament, so now the trade that you did make Hopefully you can get points out of him. So I would think James White would be your next option, given the fact he's also out of state, but this is going to be online, so there's no problem there. Um, do you take out Tom, Paul Preston, or Ben Goddard? Who do you take out? I think I would say you take out Ben, but given the fact that Kate has wanted is pushing for Ben to be Rookie of the Year, I don't know how you don't put him in the tournament and still go for Rookie of the Year. Because now his inner geekdom is done. He has one win, one loss. Okay. Teams, he's 2-0 and currently. And I think they're going to play Shazam. So if they if the Pride beats Shazam, certainly that's, that's a huge accomplishment. Shazam is a great team. That does something. But I don't know it's going to keep pace with Barbarian or... Robert Parker, let's say, like everyone's predicting Robert Parker is going to get to the final. If he goes that far, and Ben Goddard's not 
in the singles tournament, I don't know how Ben Guard's going to keep pace with that. Now, also, Ben on backstage said it's not really about the awards. It's about getting his team, his faction points. Okay, so if you're not really worried about awards and, and what have you, but you're just worried about getting your team points, well, they kind of go hand in hand. The more points you accumulate for your team, the better your odds are of winning awards like Rookie of the Year or player uh, or Singles Player of the Year. The, they kind of go hand in hand at that point. And if he is all about making sure they get points for the den, then he's got to play in the singles tournament. So how do I swap out Ben for James White? I can't. That leaves me Paul Preston. I think he can do some great things. We saw a lot of problems from him last year. So I don't know how you swap him out for a James White or somebody else. And then I look at Tom, and I've heard mixed things, but as of late, it looks like he's really expressed interest. So how do you not put Tom? And people would be thrilled to see Tom. So how, so I don't know, Ken, or not Ken, but Kate was in a real interesting position by announcing Silva Strini as her first, or Christian announcing that this is the Den's first uh, confirmed entry into the singles tournament. Um, now, there's a whole other topic of why Rachel Silva Strini, giving, given that she's had some weak play uh, in the past. Well, a lot of time has elapsed from her last appearance in the Schmodown. What has she been doing in that time period? You would think that some time has been spent on studying up, which uh, every player should be doing that if they have the time, they have the means. But but if I'm also Kate, I want to make sure that by putting Rachel in there, she's she's in a, in a better place than she was previously in terms of gameplay, knowledge, all of that. I don't know if... I don't know what Kate's kind of prerequisite is in terms of I feel good putting you in the tournament. If it's all about spreading around the love, then, you know, sure, I mean, Rachel's only played teams, so she gets another crack at another division, but this is a tournament, okay, but if I go back to how Rachel played, I don't know how th- those past performances can lead to a first-round victory. Maybe, maybe, it, this is a bit of a deeper tournament in terms of we have like an extra round with these 32 players. It's 36 players get whittled down to the final 32, if you will, the actual 32 that makes the bracket look nice, right? She could get a rookie matchup. But as we've seen newer rookies come into this league, these aren't your average rookies. I mean, could she could she play someone who's not as experienced in the first round? Certainly a possibility. Um, but you're taking a you're taking a a big gamble there because she is a little bit lower than anybody else who probably be in the tournament just based on her record. So she could get saddled with someone with a higher seeded or a higher um, or a better record with a higher seed, right? So now she's kind of looking at a, at the same kind of John Roca tournament match she had, which you know, yes, she did come close, but uh, that's what the scoreboard says. But I think that match was a little bit more comfortable of a win for for John Roca than he would admit, because I think 
he's being professional about when he talks about that match. I, I tend to think that if if Silverstrina didn't get Kevin Smith, you know, I don't know what that match looks like. I don't know. That's besides the point. <laughs> what I'm saying is I don't know that Silverstrini is the best option of from from the den. But that being said, I hope Kate went to Rachel and said and looked at what at, somehow Rachel would have proved I would think to Kate saying, "Hey, I'm ready. I've made these improvements." Now, whether it's just a, a verbal thing where Rachel says, "I've I've, I've improved this day and the other," and Kate goes, "Okay. Blind faith. I believe I believe what you say that you've been doing the work." Okay. Or did did Kate talk to Rachel? Rachel says, you know, I've improved, I've been working on my game. And Kate goes, okay, great. Let's 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 see where you're at and do maybe some sort of a mock match or 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 quizzer on some things. I don't know what's going on there, but something had to have happened with Kate and Rachel to where Kate said, Okay, I feel good about putting you in the tournament. So by doing that, I I, I am expecting a better performance from Rachel Silvestrini as as an entry into this tournament representing the den because there are a handful of other players that I think you could put in over Silvestrini to give yourself a better shot in the tournament. So it's gonna be very interesting to see what the den does with the rest of their their slots for the tournament. Uh, it's gonna be interesting to see how Rachel plays and see, you know, because you look at again the Brandy Hannah Saul situation didn't work out for Kate. Both of her players are now out of the tournament. Brandon Hannon's still going. He's got he's got a match against Alex Damon in another round. So we'll see what happens in the future. It's going to be interesting, along with many other factions that are making decisions. And I'm not going to get into the other announcements. Um, we have plenty of time for that. And, and, who, and who knows what other information is going to come out between this episode and the next episode. We might have more confirmations. I don't know. But that was just one thing right off the top that... Um, I wanted to talk about the other thing before I get into the three matches is there was a discussion in the Facebook page about how some managers are going to have more difficult decisions than others when it comes to next season and keeping three players or the ability to keep three players. It's not a guaranteed thing, but the managers can sign up to three players before heading into the 2021 draft. It's huge. And the post was about how corruption, Shannon, the manager Shannon, can pretty much get everything on lock, all the divisions on lock, by just keeping Chance Ellison, Mike Kalinowski, and Laura Kelly. It covers every single division. And I emphatically agree that this is probably the best trio from a current faction in the game right now. I think it's the I think it's the best trio because you get Mike and Chance, especially Chance now after his first round tournament um play against Paul Oyama here in the Inner Geekdom, he's proven that he is a legit a legit triple threat. You know, former team champ. He's played some legendary players in, in, in singles tournaments. And you I mean last year against Bibiani that was a hell of a match. He played Ethan Irwin, you know, played them really well, didn't come up with a W, but He's played big names and tough matches, and he's played well. I mean, he has, I think, uh, Matt reserves me, he has one of the top first-round accuracy rates in the entire singles 
division, in the history of singles division. So the guy's no slouch. He's a triple threat, okay? Mike Kalinowski, triple threat, with varying levels of success in singles. He can go up or down, but him and Chance as a team, who are going to play Founding Fathers for the title, that's huge. Intergeekdom champion, former Intergeekdom two-time Intergeekdom champion. Triple threat. Laura Kelly has Star Wars Unlocked. I know she just lost, but you can't tell me you wouldn't hold on to Laura Kelly if you had two triple threat guys and Mike Kalinowski and Chance Elson. That's how much versatility they have that they allow Shannon to keep a sole uh, Star Wars player. That's huge when you're only going to be able to keep three. What el- what other trio out there right now that's on a faction is is better than that three? You can point towards Damarell, John Roca, and Barbarian. You could. There's also discussion in that thread that, well, maybe Dagneel's best move is to break up Founding Fathers, or if the Founding Fathers break up on their own, you pair Dan Merle with the Barbarian, and then you hold on to Andrew DiMolanto. The guy might have the title by the end of the year, and if he does, I think Dagneel's going to find it hard to not try and bring back a champion. Uh, I don't know if he's keen on letting one of those just walk out the door. But if the Founding Fathers were to split up, or if Diagnino somehow went to Dan and John and said, hey, look, i got to make a decision. I think to cover all my bases, I'm going to keep Dan and Barbarian, make them a team, and then I'm going to hold on to Dean Balanza because maybe he's the champ by then. But still, it's in the same boat as Laura Kelly. Dan Merle is is looking to be the next an, another triple threat. You know he's studying up on Intergeekdom. Barbarian, he looks to be a triple threat. Uh, he's played in singles, had a perfect game, uh, perfect accurate game in his debut. Uh, he played pretty solid against Adam Lavik in Intergeekdom. I think he's only going to get better from there. He hasn't played teams, but there's if you were to team him up with Dan Merle next year and we're just gauging his performance off of his one singles performance and kind of his, and maybe some of his other performances, like in the exhibition match, the Jurassic Park exhibition match, and how he plays in Intergeekdom. And then he was a teammate with Dan Merle. That's a scary team. And then for Dagnino to cover his to cover his bases and lock down a Star Wars presence, you have Andrew DiMolanta, whether he's champ or not. So it's kind of mirroring what corruption is currently has and would probably retain going to next year. I, I don't think – I'd be stunned if that wasn't the three that Shannon holds together for corruption. And no disrespect to anybody else on that team. Um, I'd be I'd be stunned because I do think it's the, the best trio right now. They have – and they're going to have this whole year together. Chance and Mike, they are – They've been together now for a couple of years as a team, as a unit, along with Shannon. Then you bring in Laura Kelly, who seems to just fit in seamlessly. Her and Shannon seem to have developed a real uh, friendship and, and um, this, you know, camaraderie. That just seems like, if you're looking for the glue of a team, um, a solid foundation, corruption really has it on lock. I really do. And I think there's certainly other factions like Swag and the Dungeon, um, that definitely have that going for them as well. Quirky Mercs with Koi. Um, it's a little bit interesting with some other other factions. Obviously, Bernie Drew's is up in the air. But um, that aside, and that aside, I, I, I'd be interested to know what everyone else thinks is the top 
trio right now from a faction that we have today. Not what could be in the future, but what's the trio from a given faction right now? The nine factions right now, who has the best trio that covers all your bases or most of your bases, three of the four divisions or all four, who gives you the best chance at belts um, and, and playing at a high level? Because, like I said, corruption, chance could play for a singles belt, I think, for sure. Kalinowski got really close last year. Corruption, team, uh, Chance, and Mike were playing for the team belts. Laura Kelly was, you know, a couple wins away from playing the belt for the Star Wars belt again. She's already played for the belt, right? So they're content. They're going to be contending for all the belts <laughs> next year. Could a, p- a potential makeup of Dan Merle, the Barbarian, Andrew DiMolanta do the same thing for a Finsec Exchange look next year? If that is the trio to go with it, I, I don't know. So... Uh, yeah, I put that question out to you guys. Who's the top trio from the, de- the factions right now out there? I'd love to know what you guys what you guys think. Um, all right, yeah, let's go ahead and get into the matches this week. And we got to start off with Star Wars. Star Wars semifinal number two here between Laura Kelly and Andres Cabrera. Uh, Ace. Sway, sway, drip, drip. Yeah, we coming for them ships. What? What a story from Ace. If you go back and watch the 2015 match B Team, it's uh, Christian Rubalcaba, Cody Hall, and Ace. They take on team champs of Dan Merle and Mark Riley. Back then, it was team champs because Riley was the the singles champion from the 2014 tournament, and Dan Merle was the movie fights champion. So you had team champs there. You look at how he played there. Ace, uh, not good, right? Then you fast forward to how he played against Robert Parker in Intergeekdom. He got knocked out. Not good. And then he comes into the Star Wars uh, match against against Quavedo. And, you know, look, on the show, I, 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 don't, I can't recall if Brad did, but I certainly did. I picked Quavedo. I actually picked Quavedo to beat Ace and to beat Napsock, but to ultimately lose to Laura Kelly... Um, boy, was I way off, right? So, but Ace beats Quavedo, TKO's him retroactively, you know, uh, that whole thing. Then he plays Ken Napsok, former Star Wars champion. Look, the game has evolved, the questions have evolved, the, the level of play, right, has evolved from when Ken was champion. He, he won it at Orlando Celebration um, against the likes of uh, Jeremy Johns and, and Sam Witwer, right? Ken was the champ, plays the Ironman match, loses to Sam Witwer at the buzzer. Controversy and all, whatever you want to, you know, do with that. Ken Napsok had a triple threat match against Grimshaw and Damon, and, you know, he was the first to bow out of that match. Then he plays Alex Damon for the title because the Star Wars division was in a really weird place. Um, You know, he loses that one. Now he's going to face Ace, who... In his match against Quavedo, missed three or four questions. Three questions. Some of them you kind of scratch your head. And you, eh. But Ace showed um, a fire within him to want to win, and that, and and it was a fire that you didn't see in inter, in his Intergeekdom match earlier in the year against Robert Parker. Um, would have been really interesting to see if. Uh, well, anyways, um, Ace has brought the fire in every match. The fuego, right? He's brought it in every match. 
and it serves him well. And because and I and I think he can play like that because he is supremely confident in what he knows about Star Wars. And he's also one of these players, or one of these people rather, that that loves Star Wars. If you follow his work, you know, with Jedi Council and um, everything, you know, he tweets out and stuff like that. He loves Star Wars. And he loves it just as much as any other player in this division. And that's not to say you have to love Star Wars at a level that he does. Um, well, first of all, you shouldn't even compare levels of love for Star Wars. There really is, that's just kind of a, a foolish thing to do. But he is very passionate nonetheless. And it shows in what, in what knowledge um, he's been able to display. Because he's talked about he loves going back and doing this stuff. And in terms of studying up on newer things that he didn't know about Star Wars. And there's that enthusiasm there to learn more. And that helps you retain more, I think. And want to push yourself further to to learn ticket numbers that win you a semifinal match to send you to the final against Andrew DiMolanta, right? Uh, when you look at the progression of of Ace, it's quite remarkable within the Star Wars division because it is very cutthroat. You cannot enter into the Star Wars division with a lazy mindset or a lazy attitude. It's just not going to work out for you. When you look at this match, though, the fact that Laura Kelly erases 9 and puts 10 for Anakin's age, and that's what costs her the match, in a sense, not fully, um... That just speaks to the level of, of play we're at with Star Wars, where perfect games are the only way to win matches these days. And even then, it's not a guarantee you'll win the match, i.e. Scrimshaw DiMolanto. Took him to sudden death, not only one in question, but perfect game from Scrimshaw and DiMolanto in regulation, even that was not good enough to win the game outright. Had to go to sudden death. In this match... It was just barely good enough to win the match from Ace. Perfect first round with the bonus, goes perfect in the second round, and knocks out his 2, 3, and 5 to win the game. Laura Kelly misses one question in the first round, and when you look back at it, the game is over then. When you look at it that way, after everything's said and done. But during that match, what's really impressive about Ace here in this match is he had that one-point lead, or two points after the bonus, right? Two points going into the second round. He had that two-point lead. He had the pressure of he can't miss. He can't miss because right now he has the sh- he has it. He has what he needed. He needed some miracle follow-up from Laura Kelly to get an edge, to get an advantage. And it came in the first round, which is just stunning. And it's probably the worst time for a miss like this to happen because there's that bonus round. There's that bonus round question, or a bonus round, but bonus question at the end of the round that can extend your lead by another point. In this case, it would make it two. For Ace to continue the rest of the match. With Laura Kelly right on his heels, I think speaks to the type of competitor that Ace truly is. And he's going to need it in the tournament final against the likes of Andrew DiMolanto. 
Now, on the show last week, me and Brad joked about how, look, Ace, he's played, he played good against Ken Napsok. I don't know that he was going to beat Laura Kelly. I was taking Laura Kelly. We both were. And I, I said, I was sorry to Ace. I'm sorry I'm doubting you. You, you just entered in, in through two matches, your first two matches, the play-in and your match against Ken. You've missed seven questions. You missed three against Wavedo, then you missed four against Napsok. I looked at Laura Kelly's entire career in her four matches. She's only missed seven altogether. That's in four matches. Two more than she's played two more matches than Ace to that point. And she's only missed seven in her entire career. Ace has missed seven in his first two. So I was like, well, I think Ace missing three, then he missed four. Maybe he'll miss two or three against Laura Kelly. And Laura Kelly will probably go a perfect game or miss one, and she'll win. Well, she did only she did miss one. She only missed one. And yet she still lost the match because Ace decides out of nowhere to pitch a perfect game. You miss three, you miss four, and then you miss zero. Against a juggernaut in Laura Kelly, who only missed one. That's incredible. That's impressive. Now, am I rooting for Ace against Andrew DiMolanta? Should I start now? I don't. I don't. I don't know. Should I start now? Doing that? I've been betting against him the from the from the start. But I tell you what, I, I really, I really don't know who's going to win that final. Between, I mean, Andrew DeMonte, I think he can go perfect. It's going to be a little tiny follow-up that I think could do Andrew DeMonte in. Now, I don't know. We've seen those little tiny follow-ups from Ace, where you know, in his first two matches, I think he just did. If he didn't know, he just didn't know it. It wasn't like he missed it by like a thread, or you know, he forgot to add a one to something. Right? I think he just just flat out missed it. And sometimes I think knowing everything there there's potential for you to just slightly misremember something you know it but you might slightly misremember it it's happened a couple times to Andrew DiMolanta I don't believe that's happened to Ace right he just doesn't know he just doesn't know it but as the weeks have gone on what Ace didn't know doesn't matter anymore it it didn't matter going into the match with Laura Kelly because those questions had been asked. And that's done. You're not going to be asked those questions again. So what Ace did from there on out, always improving, and look, I think when you look at that first round against Ken Napsack, I think we should have looked at that first round with a little bit more, uh, a little more forgiving, because it was those I think that's the toughest first round we've seen of all the matches right now in terms of the level of questions. So we probably should have been a little more forgiving. And I think I still think Laura Kelly would have still been the favorite against Ace. But man, what an incredible run from Ace. It, it truly does it's beginning to rival Mark Anopic's run, right, in twenty eighteen when she went on to win the Intergeekdom title. The difference here is Mara's stats were 
above average pretty much the entire way. I mean, she did incrementally get better from match to match to match until she faced Jason Inman when she had her best match statistically. Um, and she won the title at a live event. Huge. Same thing is happening here with Ace. Um, if I'm a little bit forgiving of the, the first round with Ken Knapsack, because you could say like he kind of regressed from Quivedo match to the Napsock match. If I'm forgiving of the Napsock first round match, um, I could say Ace has probably gotten better as he's gone on. Clearly, if you look at his first match with Quivedo to his match with Kelly, leaves him bounds better. I mean, he just he mowed, he mowed through this match like it was butter. I mean, it was an incredible display from Ace, and 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 it really it kind of echoes kind of how how Laura Kelly has played. I think she's gone in there with tremendous confidence, rightfully so, and has kind of just mowed through the game. Ace did that against Laura Kelly, and it was one of those performances. It was the type of performance you need to have um, to to have a shot against players like Laura Kelly, Andrew DiMolanta. Maybe Alex Damon is in his future. It would be an incredible story that, that funny enough, I would get to say I was rooting against that guy the entire time. But, you know, I also did say last week, if if because it happened with the Molly Damon-Andrew DiMolanta match, Molly Damon gets a, a slight lead, and I was like, come on, just finish it off. Don't tease me like that. Don't tease me. And I said the same thing about Ace and, and Laura Kelly. If Ace gets a lead on Laura Kelly, don't tease me that, that this is a possibility. Because once I see he has a lead and it's a possibility, finish it off. Do it. Just do it. And that's exactly what he did. That's exactly what he did. So while I may not be rude, while I was not rooting for Ace outright, I was definitely, if I, I was definitely looking for an upset because upsets are fun, and unfortunately, it is at the expense of Laura Kelly, who, who I, I've, who's grown to be one of my favorite players in the game, just all around. I think she, she's, she's played great, and she will continue to play great. And it's just one of those days, I think, one of those days where missing one question is going to make all the difference for her, unfortunately. Um, and so she's done for the year. That that really does stink. Uh, because she's such a great presence in the league, um, it, it, and her and her presence in the Star Wars division is important, just like Molly Damon's uh, presence is important for the Schmodown, just like Jen Kem's and Janine's uh, in these geek-like uh, categories. This this culture, geek culture, um, trivia, geek culture, right? Their presence are tremendously important. And and they're great entertainers. They're they're great knowledge wise, and so I'm definitely I was rooting for that more than I was rooting. I don't I don't know. Maybe I was rooting for that more than I was rooting. You know, because it was made it hard to root against Ace, or made it hard to root for Ace when I think about all of those things. But at the same time, you look at the final. I'll just say it. We don't have two white guys in the final. So that is something, right? And that's really cool, I think. And I think that's important, too, to, to look on the screen and see two men up there. I, I think Andrew Nilanta is Hispanic, you know, ace, obviously. So there's a lot of good that came out of out of uh, these final, these semifinals. I mean... 
two women, two men, two Hispanics. Uh, we, I, it's going to be a great final. Whoever's going to play in the final is always going to be great. And, you know, besides all of that, I can I can move away from that. But Ace, man, he's... He he's been a lot of fun to to watch, and then we also talked about last week how he's very important for the faction race, very important for the faction race in terms of what corruption could do, what swag can do. Because right now the den is just dead in the water; they're done. Right? Um, they got to wait till the singles and teams and see what happens there. And who knows whether who they're putting in, in in the singles tournament? You know, just talked about that and teams and all blah blah blah. But this is huge for swag. They don't have anybody um, in the Intergeekdom tournament anymore, but this is huge for Swag. If they can, if Ace can do the unthinkable and pull off a uh, a three point win here in the final, that, that's huge for Swag's chances of trying to to catch corrupt or trying to catch Finsack Exchange and possibly catch or fend off corruption at least. Because uh, as as I'll get into in a little bit here, I mean Chance won his match. Last week, Mike won his match this week. They're moving on, and they, look, they got some hurdles to overcome, but if they can get past it, I mean, they can go on a run as well, even though Laura Kelly lost this match. So, all right, I think I spent enough time on that match. I could probably talk about that match forever. Uh, Let's, yeah, before I get to, so yeah, let's talk about, uh, let's see here, what do I got? You know what, actually, real quick, talking about Star Wars, let me just bring up some numbers here. When you look at the accuracy rate through uh, these matches right now, excluding the playing match between uh, Ace and uh, Josh Quavedo, the average accuracy rate in Star Wars amongst all those players, among the eight players that made it in, 87%. 87%. And earning eighty, almost 82% of available points. So just elite, elite level of play from these guys and gals in the Star Wars division. Um... That's what makes it so fun to watch. It's just great to watch uh, players like that perform at such a high level, at such a competitive level. Um, it's great. And I love seeing Winston getting choked up there for his guy. That's great stuff. Sway, sway, trip, trip. Next match here, let's talk about Parker, the Wonder Boy, versus the other Wonder... He's not a boy, but Ben Goddard. He's a bandit, right? So, interesting matchup because you're looking at two... Potential uh, candidates or candidates for Rookie of the Year. And I've said, you know, the only way Parker's going to win Rookie of the Year is he's going to have to win the, the final, or I'm sorry, win the tournament for sure, I think. And it would go a long way of, of actually winning the, the or grabbing the Intergeekdom Championship. Because in today's day and age, when rookies enter the league, you got to win, you got to win titles to get Rookie of the Year. I mean, Ethan Irwin. Look at Polyama, right? That's what Parker's going to have to do to win Rookie of the Year, especially with him only playing in Inner Geekdom. Ben has the advantage of playing in all three leagues, right? He's got to win in every single division, aside from Star Wars, and uh, he plays really well in singles and teams. So a win here for Parker would pretty much shut the door on Parker winning Rookie of the Year. That that door is still open uh, due to the fact that Ben Gardner lost this match. But going into this match, you know, Parker, super hyped. I think he's lived up to the hype, in my opinion. But uh, it's interesting to, to note that when, like, 
he misses a question here. He only missed one question, but it kind of oozed some people. We're kind of making a big deal out of it, like, oh, he's human. You know what? I think that's kind of exaggerated. If a guy misses one question, he's human? Well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I get it. I get what, what's going on there, but, you know, it's one question. And mind you, it was a question about a color. It, it's like, it, you know, let's not get too bad at it. Let's not get too crazy with the, uh, you know, the he's human um, jargon. Um, it was a color. Wasn't it? It's like, I don't even, honestly, I don't even know if that type of question really needs to be in our geekdom. I think that's a whole other discussion, probably. I think there's, you can certainly make cases for what, what color is Superman's cape? Red. Okay, cool. You know, okay. I guess, I don't know. Anyways. First round, though, Parker Goddard. Parker goes perfect. Once again, back-to-back first rounds with the bonus. Uh, ben Goddard, eight points. And it's also in this round that Goddard has a bit of um, what I'm going to call a, a flare-up um, in terms of uh, attitude, if you will. Kind of reminiscent of uh, his match against the Butcher Boys. Uh, we remember that whole ordeal. Uh, we remember that whole uh, Twitter exchange and backstage episode, right? So, a couple of things with this. What is Goddard's level of composure in high-pressure situations? Right, losing losing a point, missing a point in the first round to Parker is, I think, you can, it can get in your brain that, like, that's the death sentence, that's it. You know, match is over with. You know, Ellis doing the, you know, calling like a bird, you know, like, I have a, I can, I get where Ben's coming from, I do, and how, you know, the answer might be just right there at the tip of your brain, but you can't quite pull it, and then you got some, something else going on the other line, uh, and it's distracting you, and you can't quite, you know, there is a level of focus that, that um, you know, you're trying to maintain while playing these matches, especially, you know, you need every single point against a player like Parker, um, because he's no joke, and you take him seriously. I don't know, it was just interesting to see Ben kind of, I don't want to say lash out, but just really voice his opinion on on how that... Uh, sequence of events transpired. Uh, I, I wasn't particularly a fan of... I'm not really particularly a fan of going after the announcers. Um, like I said, I do I do see where he's coming from. I get it. I think, though, there's probably a more... friendlier way to go about it. If you know what I'm saying. Uh, because this... And it's kind of... It stems back to the match against the Butcher Boys. Whereas when you're lashing out and the whole we're heels thing, yeah, but we've seen, Ben, you're not you're not a heel. You, you can't... I don't think you're made or you haven't really figured out how to play that role. So... You didn't come into this match playing the heel. And then so going after uh, Christian and Mark, or Mark really... Um, I don't know. It just it just seemed a little. Uh, 
you know, in my mind, I'm like, I, I don't know. We need to go, you know, that far. I get it. Um, but it is what it is. And look, if you're another player out there who, who could eventually run into Goddard in singles, if he plays in a singles tournament or even the team's tournament, there, there are things out there that there are a number of players out there that Ben Goddard could run into who could really try and get under his skin, knowing that as long as they do within the confines of the rules and being sportsmanlike, um, because obviously as another competitor, you couldn't, you, you wouldn't be able to talk during someone else's, you know, trying to answer a question that's not allowed. So, but there are other things out there that, that, that could get to Ben and that could prove to be fatal for him in, in a very high pressure match. Uh, so don't think, you know, that other players like, uh, you know, like a Snyder or a John Roca or um, I can't really think of anybody else off the top of my head, but those are players that he could potentially see in a singles tournament or potentially see in a team setting that they could try and go after this aspect of, of Ben's um, short fuse type of, um, uh, in terms of like, you know, what, what gets him rattled. Um, they could try and go after that. They could try. And, uh, you know, it could, it could befall Ben in, in a pretty opportune time. Uh, you know, we will see what, we'll see what's going on, um, in the future with that. But look, Ben, you know, it's interesting because like Ben won in this match fully knowing that he's not favored to win this match and that he's supposed to lose. He's got nothing to lose. You know, um, Parker has all the pressure on him. He's got to win. He's got to perform. Uh, but man, I, I tell you. Ben played like he had something to lose, which I can appreciate because you should go into every match thinking you can win. I because honestly, I really didn't. I don't particularly uh, like the mentality. If you're putting it out there, look, I got nothing to lose. Well, I, I while that may be true, I don't think that. If I'm the player, I want to actually be saying those words out loud. I don't think I actually want to be thinking those words. I should want to go into a match. You look at Parker and you go, "That's a challenge. Let, let me see what I can do." And then, but then, but then, if you follow it up with, you know, and if I lose, I lose. You know, it's I'm supposed to lose. But if you want to take it serious, and I think Ben has proven he, you know, has shown that he he takes it very seriously. I think you know, while it may be true he has nothing to lose, I don't know that he's the one that should have that mentality. I think other fans out there and 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 anyone else can can think that, but I think as a player, that's just my opinion. I don't play the game, obviously, so I don't know how that would that would work with my mentality if I was playing the game. I got nothing to lose. Actually, you know what? I tell you what. Um, when I played Brad for the first time, the first Back to the Future match on the rundown. Um, I went into that like, ah, I'm supposed to lose. I'm supposed to lose. And I played that way. But the second time I went into this exhibition match we had, I had the mentality of, I can win this thing. I can beat him. I don't care that he wrote a book. I don't care that he beat me last time. I don't care that, you know, he, he's dedicated large parts of his life to this franchise. I still think I can beat him. And I went in there and I played really, really, really well. And I'm not going to tell you the outcome of the match. But let me tell you, I played pretty good. And it's because I think of that mentality. Now, that's an exhibition match. It's not, you know, quote-unquote big leagues. But maybe there's something to that. I don't know. You know? So 
Uh, moving on, getting get into the second round here. Uh, Parker, you know, he goes first. He spins away from Star Wars, and then he lands on DC. He misses one there. He misses, you know, the penguin color hat uh, question, and, and Ben steals that. Huge steal. That really could have, you know, turned things around for him here. But then he, when he spins, he lands on Star Wars, and there is a bit of deliberation between him and Kate about taking Star Wars. Uh, he eventually lands, eventually opts to take Star Wars. Uh, looking back at this round, um, or questions for Star Wars, I think these these questions were definitely inner geekdom level. I know there's talk out there that oh, these are kind of on the level of what the Star Wars League would look at, or these questions would look like in Star Wars. Uh, no, not necessarily, I don't think, because I do know that there's a concerted effort to make sure that there's Star Wars Division questions and then there's Star Wars Inner Geekdom Division questions. Um, and I think these were Star Wars Inner Geekdom Divisions. I mean, listen to Ben, I think he kind of rushed some things. He got a little bit into, a little too into his mind, I think, and rushed some some spots here where it cost him points. So, look, and he pulled off one, two, three, four, four points in a Star Wars, he got another two off of Star Wars. I'm sorry, off of Steel from Parker. So he had six for the round to Parker's eleven. You know he was already trailing by two, so now he's down twenty-two to fourteen. Things just snowballed for him in that second round to where he's really in a bind, almost on the verge of being knocked out. But he has a great, great final round here, third round. Middle Earth, Star Wars, Harry Potter knocks them all out of the park. Two, three, and five gets them all. Forces Parker's hand. Um, Parker only had to answer his two and his three to seal the deal, 27-24. Just a huge game from Parker. Again, only missing one, quote-unquote, human. Okay, great. He's still phenomenal. Um, But I think it is, yeah, it is fun to to poke at him in terms of, oh, he's he's human, the Russians cut, all that stuff, right? Uh, But I tell you what, looking at Ben's performance, I don't see any other reason why he could not continue to play in Regitum. I think he's only going to get better. Um, he's going to have a lot of downtime between now and another, and another Intergeekdom match, whenever it may take place next year. Um, there's no reason why he can't launch himself into another level in Intergeekdom. I fully think he can. I mean, he has solid first rounds. Um, it's the second round that he's just got to, he's got to figure that out. And I think he will with some more time and kind of really figure out his strengths and shore up his weaknesses. Um, and I think he'll be he'll be really good. I think he'll be really good. I think he's kind of in the same path as Polo Yama, to tell you the truth. I can see some similarities in terms of and, and look, they both got Star Wars in the second round. Look what happened. Um, so I, I would like to see Ben play again in Intergeekdom, and I think he'll be a huge asset to whatever faction he is on next year. Presumably the Den, but uh, you know, uh, we talk about triple threats are going to be more and more important as we go into next year. Because you're only being able to hold down the three, all that stuff, right? So I think Intergeekdom is something that he's got to continue to improve upon. Obviously, uh, his attention will presumably turn towards the, the singles tournament and the teams tournament. So we'll see what happens there for him. Uh, Parker, look, the guy's missed one match. I'm sorry, one question in in two matches. And like I said earlier, it was a color. It's not like you know what is. Aquaman's real name you know it's not like he's like not missing something like that it's a color so I'm not too worried about it um I like the way he plays you know he talks about how you know he's got the gameplay to go with the knowledge and I think that's gonna serve him well 
going into a big match next week, uh, or two weeks, whenever it airs, I forget, uh, against Chance Ellison, who proves who's proven to look like um, a pretty legitimate threat who's going to make Parker sweat. I, I, if Ben Goddard can push Parker to at least hit his two and his three, there's no reason to doubt that I think that matchup between Parker and Chance is going to come down to their fives and who answers those. So we'll see. And Parker has never, has in two matches, hasn't had to, uh, you know, answer a five-pointer. Against Chance, I think he's going to have to. That'll be his first one. We'll see how he does. Um, we'll see how Chance does as well, actually. So that matchup is going to be really, really interesting. And huge points for uh, for the dungeon here. They get out of the cellar. Um, usual suspects are now at the bottom there, um, unfortunately. So this was a great match. Uh, I expect to see some big things from Goddard in the future. Parker continuing to just uh, live up to the hype. And that's not an easy thing to live up to the hype, but he's doing it one match at a time right now. So let's let's see this let's see this thing keep going because if he gets to that final and he faces good old buddy Kevin Smets um, eventually, or maybe Chandru, who knows? Uh, I, I I think it'll be Kevin, but who will retain the belt? That'll be a hell of a hell of a match. So all right, so we got one more match coming up now, and that's uh, Mike Kalinowski making his return to the ring, but uh, before I get into that match, let's take a quick break, and um, and then I'll, on the other side of this break, we'll get into this match. Right, so there we go. Uh, coming back now, we're going to finish up here with Kalinowski and Greg Alba. Kalinowski makes his return to inner geekdom after a long layoff from his match against Kevin Smith at Spectacular, where he lost the belt in a not-so-glamorous fashion. Um, pretty brutal loss. I think uh, that type of loss would, would haunt people um, for, a, for a while. But it takes a lot to get back on that horse. And I like the mentality that Mike talked about having coming back into this match he's like look i gotta get points from my faction we're not doing too great um but these tournaments are gonna allow us to get back into things star wars laura kelly you know picked up a big win for them got at them three points there uh chance he picked up uh three points for them now he's got now mike it's mike's turn he's got to carry the slack here uh or pick up the slack and, and keep moving forward uh and this wasn't going to be an easy match against greg alba uh, when we saw greg alba last against warfather Yes, it was a KO, but I mean, so we didn't see much. But Greg Alba, I thought, played really, really well. Um, he was on top of his on top of his knowledge. He's talking about how he's been studying, and and that's really paying off for him. So 
this was going to be a very interesting match just to see how Greg does from one match to the next and see if there's any kind of uh, progression there. Now, Kalinowski in the first round had nine points. Greg Alba had seven. So, solid round from Greg Alba there. Um, near top tier for Kalinowski there. He misses. Uh, they both missed the Star Wars question there, the uh, Naomi Aki question. Um, so, which was interesting because that turned out to be kind of the theme for Kalinowski and his misses was these little, these more quote unquote deeper cut type of cast list questions. Um, and he talked about it in his post match where he's like, I got to go a little bit further deeper in the cast list to pull out these names. Cause I tell you what, you can't miss cast list questions against Kevin Smets. He, he will snatch those up. He knows those. Um, but Mike is going to shore up that weakness, I believe. And so it'll be interesting to see, uh, how he progresses from there. But look, going in the second round, uh, Mike spins away from Marvel, lands on Middle Earth, and you know he misses one, but uh, he picks up seven points of his own in that. And then he goes back to Greg Alba. He spins away from DC just to get DCEU. He misses one, but picks up eight points of his own. And so he kind of actually outplayed um, Mike Kalinowski here in a sense in terms of just their individual categories. You know, he got eight on his DCEU questions. Mike got seven with his Middle Earth, and Mike tied it up by able to take a steal from Greg Alba, so they both end up with eight points in the round. So I like what Greg um, is very steady here, and in, in, through two matches now and through two rounds of you know first and second round, I think he's a really, really solid player, and if he continues to improve... Uh, and the downtime, which doesn't seem entirely likely when you when you listen to his post match interviews and other places he's talked, like on backstage, um, you, find, you know there's there's trying to find the balance of how to do this stuff. So, um, but if this is the Greg Alba that we have right now, and it goes into the next year, and he kind of gets that bug again to kind of start jumpstart, we'll see what he can do. It'll be interesting to see. But for Mike, um, look, there's a he had a long time off um, from playing Inner Geekdom. He had a couple, you know, cast, you know, cast uh, questions missed here. Uh, let's get into that third round, third final round. Look, Greg Alba took Mike Kalinowski down to the wire. He made Mike Kalinowski answers two, three, and five. You know, Greg missed his three pointer, but his two and five hitting a five is a big deal. Um, I don't care if you think the question was hard or it wasn't. You're getting a five point question, and there is a level of pressure when. When they go to you, okay, and for your five-point question in the category of DC, it can be anything. I'm sure your mind is racing at a million miles per second. Uh, so for Greg to get that question um, and kind of, you know, earn that achievement of I hit a five-point question in her geekdom, that's a huge, huge step for him. But it did make Kalinowski have to go to his five eventually to win the game. And uh, look, if once upon once upon a time he was the champion and he played. This final round, like he was the champion, hit his two, hit his three, hit his five. Um, that's exactly what I wanted to see from Mike. Now, again, in his post-match interview, he talked about he missed some of these castless questions that he's got to shore up, which I fully believe he will. And if, if that's his only kind of weakness at the moment that, that he's kind of figuring out, I fully expect him to go through whatever he's got to go through, go a little bit deeper on these castless and shore that up. Um which is going to make him even more dangerous than um, than he already was in this match. Nine points in the first. Um, Middle Earth, not always the easiest category to navigate. 
but he did pretty well here. I'm, I'm assuming he'll shore that up as well, uh, and the cast list stuff. So I expect to see a much more sharper um, Mike Kalinowski in the second round. Greg Elba, you know, his year in inner geekdom is done here. Um, I think, you know, he, he did what he needed to do for the Quirky Mercs. He got them three points um, because, he, because of the knockout. So Quirky Mercs, I mean, Coy, what he's done with Greg Elba and John Humphrey and getting them prepped, maybe not necessarily in knowledge because that's that's more on the player's aspect, but I think there is an element to Coy prepping and, and getting John and Greg more motivated or, or, or game time ready with the mentality. Um, and I think that goes a long way. And I think it really helps for players like Greg and John. And and then look, you see how they play here. Um, so I think Coy has done a fantastic job. Yeah. Greg here has lost, you know, we'll see what John can do against Barbarian. I think he's going to play just as well as he did against Janine. Will it be enough? I don't know. It, it, he could surprise because if, if Koi is able to maintain um, this this attitude of, look, we can we can do it. I think John, I think John and Greg have bought into that, and so who knows what's going to happen with John and Barbarian. But for Greg here, uh, like I said, having to hit a five pointer, getting that achievement in inner geekdom, I think was huge. It was huge uh, for Greg, and and yeah, his year. And energy was done here, but man, was it a ride to watch him play? It's 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 so fun to watch him play because he's he does remind me of kind of like old school Schmodown, where you just kind of like walk in, sit down, and go, all right, what are you gonna ask me? I you know I'm just going based off what I love, and Greg definitely does remind me a lot of those types of players. I mean, and look, he's from that era as well. He's been in the Schmodown um, since 2016 with with Real Rejects, so it's not like. You know, he's one of these, um, I guess, I, look, I guess you can teach old dogs new tricks. Not to say that Greg's old, but in Schmodown terms, um, look, he, he after all these years, we're going to 2016, 2017, 2018, 2019, 2020, he's decided, all right, teams, okay, I'll go in and them, you know, and look how he played. So I've always, I always think, I always, I've always thought Greg was underrated in terms of how good he can be, and... This kind of proves my point here. So we'll see. Uh, I don't know. He's got another team match, or will he be in the team tournament? Singles tournament? I don't know. But uh, if I can always see Greg Elvin, John Humphrey, um, I love those those guys. They do tremendous work outside the Schmodown, inside the Schmodown. Um, really looking forward to whenever Greg can play again. Uh, it was a really great match. Okay, I think I've spent enough time here. Um, you're probably wondering how I've taken up an hour. So am I. So we're going to end it here. Uh, this has been the Schmodown Rundown. Uh, you can catch the show uh, every week, weekend, every Saturday in the podcast feed, the Movie Trivia Schmodown podcast feed. And if you're watching this on SEN YouTube channel, every Sunday at noon Pacific. Hopefully we'll have Brad back next week. And uh, until then, this has been the Schmodown Rundown. And we will see you next week. Boom. Have you made the switch to NYX? Millions of women have made the switch to the revolutionary period underwear from NYX. That's K-N-I-X. Period panties from NYX are like no other, making them the number one leak-proof underwear brand in North America. They're comfy, stylish, and absorbent, perfect for period protection from your lightest to your heaviest days. They look, feel, and machine wash just like regular underwear, but... 
feature incognito protection that has you covered. You can shop sizes from extra small to 4XL. Choose from all kinds of colors, prints, and different styles, from bikinis to boy shorts, thongs to high-rise. You've got to try NYX. See why millions are ditching disposable, wasteful period products and have switched to NYX. Go to knix.com and get 15% off with promo code TRY15. That's nix.com promo code TRY15 for 15% off life-changing period underwear. That's knix.com.